This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Welcome back to the Daily Digest on the bigger picture. These, this rainy Wednesday afternoon, this is Lim Su and with Chi Xiao Yi in the studio today. We are now uh, moving into our second story for today, which uh, we're looking at the high number of cases um, of COVID-19 cases in schools across Malaysia, alongside the high number of new daily community cases that we have been seeing over the past few weeks. And, you know, unfortunately, that number has been staying above the 2000 mark, um, you know, from what we've the updates that we're getting um, the past few weeks so you know do keep um, your thoughts coming in tweet us at BFM Radio and WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899 and uh, we have a poll running on Twitter as well just very quickly if you can go over to uh, at BFM Radio you can answer that poll what should be done to prevent or reduce COVID-19 cases in schools should we close schools do better testing and tracing or shut non-essential businesses. And we'll be visiting the results of that poll and reading out some of your comments later. So just to take a step back, you know, um, the numbers are really a cause for concern. Uh, the latest figures from the Health Ministry came in last week when uh, Health Minister Dr. Sri Dr. Adam Baba mentioned that there were 49 active clusters and uh, over 2,600 active cases that involve schools and learning institutions. And, you know, the number of schools that have been ordered to close due to cases that have been detected I mean, whether you're a parent or a teacher or not, it's just so scary. In Selangor alone, a total of 79 schools were ordered to close uh, earlier this week for two days. That's 19 schools in Hululangan, 18 in Pataling Perdana, 15 in Klang, 9 schools each in Gomba and Pataling Utama, 2 in Sepang, 5 in Hulu Selangor and 2 in Kuala Langat. Um, That just shows how many areas within Selangor itself have been affected and uh, it really is quite widespread. Mm. And, you know, in Penang, 20 primary and secondary schools were also ordered to close um, this week for two days. And this two-day directive is um, new. It's a measure that the Education Ministry has just implemented last week. So basically what it means is that any school that has even one confirmed COVID-19 case will be shut for two days. And this came into effect last week on the 21st of April. So since you daily reported that the Deputy Education Minister, Datuk Ma Hang Soon, said that this will allow um, the following to be done and I'm quoting him here, the school can be disinfected completely and the teachers, students and parents will have an emotional buffer space which will prevent unnecessary panic and misunderstanding. Oh, unfortunately, panic and misunderstanding is happening regardless. So to, un- to get an understanding of uh, what's going on in schools amid the occurrence of these cases, um, Shamila Ganesan from our Evening Edition team spoke recently to Janice Chong, who's the co-founder of Advolution Enterprise and Program Director for Potential Future Charismatic Leaders. That's a school education program being done with the Perlis State Education Department. So Janice touched on how uh, SOPs are being implemented in schools and that the main challenge for parents at least is how they pick up their children and minimise exposing themselves on school grounds. I think uh, when we talk about um, SOPs in school, there is a very strict process involved. Um, so generally, I think uh, if you ask about the biggest challenge would be, you know, students are social beings. So any at any time, if they get too excited or if there's uh, a window of time when teachers are not around, then they tend to forget that there are SOPs in place. But um, if you ask about when teachers are around and principals are around, there's uh, really not much challenge there because it is a very, very strict situation in school. The only challenge would be if teachers are not around or when actually students leave the school compound right after school. 
but uh, the situation is improving now. There are also schools who even created like video tutorials to guide parents on really exactly how do you pick up and drop off your kids safely. So, but uh, for schools who are still struggling in this, what they will need to do is to increase their communication with parents. But really, the the responsibility shouldn't lie on the school alone. Parents play an equally important role to to make sure they adhere to the SOP that the schools have already put in place. So Chanis was also asked uh, whether she thinks schools need to close and revert to online learning and here's what she had to say. Like I said just now, there is, but it also depends on um, where the school is, uh, the, the the location of it, uh, if the cases are very serious there, and if there's really a need for it. Not to say we do not need to close at all, but then if there's a need for the whole school to be closed, then go ahead. But if there's no need, then please make sure learning continues for the students because uh, until we get vaccinated, um, cases like these are bound to happen. So we, we need to see how we can live with the new norm and have processes in place that are really more targeted to the, to the cases in schools. So that was Janice Chong, the co-founder of Advolution Enterprise and Program Director for Potential Future Charismatic Leaders. And she was, um, those were clips where she was speaking to the Evening Edition team. So it's interesting that while Janice mentioned the SOPs for the most part are being enforced strictly in schools, there are still a lot of parents who don't necessarily feel fully reassured. Mm-hmm. So the Malaysian Reserve recently interviewed parents and teachers in Bangi, for instance. Some parents uh, have already stopped sending their kids to school with all these uh, cases because they're worried about a potential uh, infection. You know, teachers have repeatedly voiced their concerns about how many classes are overcrowded. So, you know, um, you know, there, there seems to be a disconnect with really what's happening in, in reality. Mm, and, you know, due to this lag in um, detection or rates of the cases, you know, how long the virus can incubate before it's detected and you show symptoms, many Malaysians are concerned about what this num- these numbers that we are seeing now, what that will look like come Raya. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've touched on this uh, before how, you know, right now we are seeing bazaars being open, gatherings like kanduris and weddings are allowed. And so th- there are a lot of social activities that are happening and allowed right now. So people are concerned about how this will affect our numbers. And in light of these concerns, you know, classes will be held online for two weeks after the Hari mm-hmm. Raya holidays. Um, and that will be via home-based teaching and learning. And this was announced by the Education Minister, Datuk Radzi Jidin, yesterday. And this is because um, the the reason given for this is because students will be visiting their parents if they reside in the same state and could potentially be in contact with their relatives and other people that they otherwise wouldn't see. So on that note, we do want to take a closer look at the public policy measures that the government needs to consider to curb transmissions in school and to keep teachers and children safe. And to do that, we've got epidemiologist Professor Dr Sanjay Rampal from University Malaya joining us. Professor uh, Professor Sanjay, thank you so much for your time. Uh, So to start with, what do you think of the government's strategy when it comes to addressing COVID-19 cases in schools? Is there anything policymakers should look into that they haven't already? In my opinion, the strategy on schools have not been consistent during this pandemic and appears to be periodically influenced by fear for the safety of our school children. We had 5.3 million school-going children in 2018. Schools are an important component of our community. It provides direct and indirect care for our children. Direct care consisting of providing an environment conducive to learning, whereas indirect care consists of supporting the social, physical, behavioral and mental health needs of our children. We should strive to keep schools safe and open for the benefit of our children. We should prioritize our schools during policy making in a manner similar to workplaces. 
as it is an essential component to the fabric of our society, we may have to invest more into our school environment to weather this pandemic. So, um, Prof Sanjay, recently uh, Penang and Selangor ordered several schools to close for two days after cases were detected and this was based on the government's latest directive. Do you think um, this is an appropriate amount of time to close schools before reopening them again if cases are detected within the school? The two days was probably for sanitization of the school. It is also likely that the higher risk close contacts of the cases have been identified and instructed to quarantine themselves by the relevant authorities. We should expect more sporadic cases in schools during periods of higher community transmission, like now. Each school should have a plan on how to address this situation without disrupting its operations too much. For example, each notified case in schools should be promptly contact traced This should be followed by all their higher-risk contacts being instructed to quarantine, whereas all remaining children and teachers can continue schooling. Parents should not send their children to school if they are sick. So um, what does the science say so far about how children react to COVID-19 if they do contract it? Compared with adults, children and adolescents who have COVID-19 are more commonly asymptomatic. That means they never develop symptoms or have mild, non-specific symptoms. However, babies below one year old and children with certain underlying conditions like asthma, diabetes, or any immunosuppression may be more likely to have severe infections. So there was a systematic review of 700 scientific papers and 47 full texts which summarized that children accounted only for a small fraction of COVID-19 cases as of now. It also summarized that the viral loads were lower in children and that this may explain why they are more likely to be asymptomatic or have less symptoms and also why they may also be less infectious. There have also been household transmission studies which reported that children were rarely the index case. So this review had summarized that children are unlikely to be the main drivers of this pandemic. Schools and kindergartens are unlikely to impact the COVID-19 mortality rates in older people. Now, all that being said, a major question many parents will ask is, can children be infectious? That means can children contract COVID-19 in schools? The simple answer is yes, but the probability is low. It's much lower than adults. Now, boarding and residential schools pose a different set of challenges for prevention, and this includes congestion and sharing of common areas. Hmm. So, is it easier for the virus to transmit among children then? Children appear to be less susceptible to the virus compared to adults. This is more so for children below the age of 10 years. In addition, the lower viral loads among child cases may reduce the risk of transmitting the disease compared to adult cases. Though outbreaks may occur in schools, the transmission is typically lower or at least similar to the community. The risk of outbreaks in schools is increased with poor hand hygiene, poor respiratory hygiene, and close social interactions without the use of face masks. 
So how should uh, public health interventions in schools then align with community initiatives to curb transmissions? It is important to note that the frequency of cases in schools may just be a marker of community transmission rather than in-school transmission. When the pillars of prevention are followed consistently and correctly, the risk of transmission in schools are decreased. The U.S. CDC emphasized five key prevention strategies. Number one, prompt contact tracing in combination with isolation of the cases and quarantine of the close contacts. Number two, appropriate cleaning and ventilation of the school environment. Number three, implementation of physical distancing as much as possible. Number four, maintaining good hand washing and respiratory practices. We should ensure that our children have clean hands, that they wash their hands with soap and water for the appropriate duration or that they use appropriate hand sanitizers. I think it is important to emphasize to the children that they cough and sneeze into their elbows. Now, with regards to the use of masks, the the recommendations are nuanced and age-specific. So WHO recommends that children aged five years and below should not be required to wear a mask based on safety and likelihood of effective use. The WHO also recommends that children aged six to 11 years should wear a mask when there is widespread transmission in the area where the child resides. However, it also recommends that we consider the ability of the child to safely and appropriately use a mask. And also we have to consider whether these children have access to masks, as well as laundering of the mask and replacement of masks in certain settings. There should also be adequate adult supervision for these children aged between 6 to 11. And there, there is also actually it's very important that we also monitor the potential impact of wearing a mask on learning and psychosocial development. Now, for children aged 12 years and above, the recommendation is that they should wear a mask similar to adults, especially when physical distancing is difficult and with widespread community transmission. Now, should the government consider other measures in schools, like testing school children frequently, perhaps on a fortnightly basis, for instance? Testing is an essential tool to combat this pandemic. However, I don't think so it's feasible to be introduced in schools. We have 5.3 million school-going children. In my opinion, we either neither have the infrastructure nor the resources to carry out widespread testing on a regular schedule. Rather, I think we should reinforce the importance of prevention while calibrating the expectations of the parents to the risk of infection. School-going children and teachers will continue to become cases as long as community transmission continues. The aim then is to prevent schools from being a hotbed of transmission by implementing evidence-based strategies. All right, thank you so much for weighing in, Prof. That was epidemiologist Professor Dr. Sanjay Rampal from University Malaya. And, you know, it looks like so far the fundamentals do uh, does remain the same, you know, at least when there is an infection detected in school. Yeah, so, you know, things that we've been talking about and the health authorities and many experts have been talking about to improve contact tracing, uh, taking the measure to quarantine, and that's for, you know, individuals to sort of take the responsibility to do that as well. And, of course, data is really important, right? Many health experts have 
been urging for um, the government to ensure that the data collection and data analysis is done right so that clusters can be detected and contained. Now, just very quickly, uh, I want to get to our poll where we were asking what should what you think should be done to prevent or reduce COVID-19 cases in schools. On Twitter, 42% of you have voted to close schools. 39% say better testing and tracing. Uh uh, 18.7% of you uh, say shut non-essential businesses or activities mm. instead. Uh, now, we have a number of comments and I'm just going to very quickly go through them. Um, Un E says, um, stop panicking at every case and then closing entire rows of classes. He says, classes that do not interact with each other are, are at lower risk if you compare to shopping malls and restaurants. So there's no reason to close a class when there's uh, another case which is two other classes mm. over. Um, he says that lost education is very costly. I agree there with that. Um, Jack says, close schools but open uh, them for the underprivileged uh, uh, community who cannot access online learning. Um, Benjamin says, we can't always be hiding behind the virus. We need a mandatory vaccination program. Wow, wow. That's a, <laughs> that's a controversial view there. Um, just force everyone to take their jab, says Benjamin. Now, Cece says, um, it's the parents who infect their kids. Uh, it's not because of schools. Um, and he feels he or she feels that restaurants should not allow dining because these restaurants are crowded like there's no tomorrow. Oh, no. And I think, um, you know, a lot of these echo what um, uh, Dr. Dr. Musa said last week as well when, um, you know, our colleagues spoke to him for another episode of the Daily Digest, right? He was saying how, you know, the, the cases in schools are merely reflect, reflective of the high cases in the community. And, you know, we can't just keep shutting and open and shutting and open schools because it really affects these students' mental health. And, and really their education they've had this disruption for more than a year by now so it's so ironic and many people have raised this everything else is allowed to go mm. on almost like pre-pandemic times whereas school children are the ones bearing the brunt of uh, you, you could call it non-compliance or whether uh, the, the SOPs are perhaps a bit too relaxed mm. uh, and uh, another tweet from Benjamin was that you know it's the adults who are you know not wearing their masks properly or don't, not even wearing masks at all as well as those who are not registering to get the vaccination and they are the ones <laughs> infecting the children and and yeah it's just um you know you you hear about schools and and i live opposite a school mm. every morning there is an announcement reminding the children the students to wear their masks throughout the day mm -hmm. and yet you see adults aren't um, necessarily following this uh, and i think that's also the challenge right? because we always say that children learn from adults so mm -hmm. really the adults you know we need to set that example and teach our kids that this you know that that this is important and if our kids go around with their parents and see that well if everywhere else is crowded mm. what's you know what's so wrong with that happening in schools as well yeah and uh, related to our first story where we were discussing the uh, risks uh, of rare blood clots related to the AstraZeneca vaccine we have a message from a listener who says I'm 63 years old I'm not 100% for the vaccination so his uh, rationale is that he survived for more more than a year with strict compliance of SOP. So why does he have to be vaccinated? And I think a lot of the... Um 
experts that we've spoken to when uh, there are people who raise these kinds of views is that um, the vaccination protects those around you as well. Because if you are vaccinated, your chances of um, getting and transmitting COVID is mm. also reduced and therefore you can protect those around you and most importantly your family members. If you have uh, uh, younger children or grandchildren, you'll be able to protect them. So I think that's what we can offer. Mm. And even uh, if response. you are sheltering at home, right? If you want people to come and visit you, that that's where the risk comes in, right? And that's why it's always, and that's why they are calling for everyone to be vaccinated. Even if, you know, and, and after vaccination, do still follow those SOPs but it's it's just that extra added layer of protection for you and your loved ones. Yes. That's unfortunately all the time we've got for these two stories that we've been discussing with lots of breaking news coming in. <laughs> uh, so if you missed any part of the show, you can check out our podcasts at bfm.my slash daily digest as well as on our BFM app. And also head over to our Facebook page, BFM The Bigger Picture, and drop us a direct message there if you'd like to get in touch with us. And that is all from us here on The Daily Digest. This has been The Bigger Picture. BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.